You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Joining me now is Ryan Manuel, the founder of Bilby AI, to give us a view from mainland China. Good morning, Ryan. And where are you speaking to us from? Good morning. I'm in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Just down the road then. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. There'll be no delay, satellite link or anything. And the great news is, because there's a lot going on in the mainland um, at the moment, as we all know, and we've got extra time for this session so we can have some real quality time together uh, talking. But before we go into mainland China, I'm very interested in your company name, Bilby AI. Firstly, because Bilby is only one letter different from my name, Philby but also because it has AI in it. So tell me how you got to the name Bilby and how you leverage AI for what you do. Oh, the name Bilby is because a, a Bilby is an Australian desert animal that digs into oh, things, yes. uh, which is also me. Uh, I'm from the desert in Australia originally. Um, uh, then how do we leverage AI? We, we use artificial intelligence to decode and predict what governments do. So basically every government has to talk to people what they're doing, and uh, in the case of China, India, really large companies, countries like that, it's very difficult to track everything that's happening and all the signals that are yeah. being sent back and forth if you don't use artificial intelligence. So that's what we use artificial intelligence for. Okay, so leverage it to get through a whole load of data. Let's face it, there's lots out there, and um, <laughs> gain some interesting insights. Sounds great. Um, Anyway, let's move now on to mainland China, since this is the topic of our uh, discussion this morning. Now, Mm. we discussed the meeting of Blinken and President Xi in our discussion on the headlines earlier on the show. What's your take on how positive it's all been? I mean, it's not really about how positive it's whether they meet or not. Um, Talks with Qinggang and and the other ministers previously were not the most positive, but the the establishment of more meetings, the, the resumption of some form of dialogue is positive. I think from the Chinese side, though, if we're looking at mainland China, probably more important are the meetings happening in Germany right now with China's second in charge, uh, Li Chao. And that's going to really drive, I think, a lot of how happy or, or unhappy the Chinese leadership will be with their foreign policy right now. Okay, so um, that's their gateway to Europe, I guess, and they're seeing that as increasing relationships with not just Germany, but the European Union? Well, it's, it's also it's showing how much the US-China sort of constant drumbeat of decoupling is affecting the many other relationships China has around the world. I mean, yeah. China has many. It's the major trading partner of 160-odd countries, so... It's, it's sort of looking, it's a, a way of looking at how much sort of spillover there is from what's happening in the US-China relationship into the broader economy and society and foreign policy. Now, I was reading the other day that really US sanctions are probably not being effective or reaching the goal because actually it's moving the mainland closer to Russia. Are you see that happening? And how important is the Russian economy in terms of trade to China? And, and do you see that relationship getting closer? Uh, I mean, it can't. I don't think it's going to get that much closer. There's, there's, a, there's a healthy distrust on both sides, sort of below the top level bonhomie. Um, in terms of the trade, the, Russia needs China much more than China needs Russia. Hmm. Uh, so. Uh, in that sense, the Chinese are 
imagine all signals coming out of China are that they'll remain very pragmatic. They'll buy things at the best price they can, and the trading relationship in that sense is beneficial. I think both sides, though, as you rightly said, have an interest in making sure that they can't be sanctioned by the United States. Uh, well, what are the key products that get traded between Russia and China? It's not something I've really looked into before. Uh, legally or illegally? Um, bef- before it was mainly commodities. Um, and then obviously on the Chinese side, goods going back back and forth. Um, but since, in essence, you know, there isn't a huge amount of things that you can buy in Russia from the rest of the world in general, um, the, the Chinese goods trade has, has grown significantly. It's up. Uh, they, they think it'll be hit to 200 billion this year. Um, and then in return, uh, clearly China wants energy. Um, Russian energy shipments are expected to grow somewhere between a, a quarter to a half. It sort of depends on how you measure it and how much round tripping yeah. we can accurately uh, get our hands on. So in both cases, it's, it's, it's serious trade. But again, for China, it's a story about the world rather than about just Russia. I don't think they would sacrifice all of their relations globally um, for this one particular relationship. Okay. Well, we were talking about this with the guests earlier, and it was also quite a topic on the show yesterday, but I'm always interested to get somebody else's perspective. Now, China seems to be recovering much slower post-COVID compared to other economies, and also slower than what most economists were predicting. The latest news today, well, probably yesterday, but we, we, uh, it was overnight our time, Goldman Sachs, who have cut their prediction of China growth. Mm. What do you think's going wrong, Ryan? I mean, what's going wrong is that people think that things are going wrong. Uh, this is a story of sort of animal spirits and consumption on one side. We're expecting more of an uplift as China exited COVID, and people have more cash, things like household deposits, uh, looking at how much money people put aside, are very high, record highs right now. But they're not spending it. And so where the rest of the global economy is, is slowing down and so China's exports are not doing as well as, as predicted or hoped, um, there hasn't been the corresponding growth in consumption. As in people aren't confident enough to go out and spend. That would mean that you'd sort of get a boost that would make up for falls in exports. Okay. So how important is cut? domestic consumption in relation to the international trade for the mainland's economy? Is it about 50-50 or how does that break down? Yeah, it's, it's sort of they're, they're roughly the same impact, but yeah. that's part of the problem that China has is it, it couldn't be roughly the same impact. Ever since 2007, 2008, the Chinese government has wanted the domestic consumption side to rise much more. Um, and, and that's remained a priority under Xi Jinping. So the, the common prosperity agenda, for example, would be greatly served by having more domestic consumption because more households will you know, be more equally balanced growth and better distribution. But it hasn't worked. The amount of sort of that balance between trade and domestic consumption has remained the same for the last 15 years. And so that's led to China being stuck in this sort of quandary of no matter what they do, they don't seem to be able to get out of this trap of when we want to grow the economy, we can't persuade every Chinese citizen to spend more. We have to go instead to businesses or real estate or, or sort of big triggers like that. And so measures that normally work in the rest of the world, um, PBA, like the, the, the bank cutting interest rates or 
having sort of household transfers or things like that. They don't work if people don't want to spend. Mm. <laughs> but how about something like consumption vouchers that, according to the figures, had some success with in Hong Kong? Would that not be an yeah. option? They're, they're already doing that. Oh, OK. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's happening all over China. Mm. But the problem is that, that if you're the central government, you don't do consumption vouchers, the local governments do. And so you can't have a national system very easily yeah. because there's 2,953 counties and most of these programs are done at the county level. So just the math of getting all of the money out for these consumption vouchers is a problem. And then the second problem, and this is actually what we're seeing, is that you need to get the money into people's pockets or red pockets to be more precise. In other words, you need to get it onto their phones. So this is how China has, has it, it sort of ended very extreme poverty, it got all these very, very poor people to just be, frankly, poor, um, is they, they did it in conjunction with the tech giants. And so what we're seeing at the moment that's a very interesting early signal is a lot of perks and perks that's being given to the tech giants. Um, and one can imagine that they, they similarly are thinking just like you, which is if we can stimulate household consumption the same way we did in Hong Kong, then we're going to need that to be done through your Alibaba's and through your Tencent rather than through necessarily us passing it to the 34 provinces, the 34 provinces passing to 333 prefectures, Whew, then that goes down to the 3,000 counties, then to the, you know, this is the, the problem of having to do something at China scale. It's very, very hard to do. Yeah, well, that must be interesting then, if some provinces are doing consumption vouchers and they're doing different amounts, that must give a lot of data is there kind of a, a, a sweet spot or any learnings they've got from um, all this data they must be getting on consumption vouchers, maybe leveraging AI? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Chinese government uses data actually quite well. The problem they have is, is the same problem everybody has in that it's, it's not about having the data, that's just the haystack. It's about finding the right piece of data, which is the needle in the haystack. And so if you've got so much data coming in, then that's not so good. And if you don't have any data coming in, that's not so good either. Uh, well, thank the you. Have. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Ryan, very much for joining.